high-performance computing and AI is being used to positively transform society and mitigate climate change. KO Data's 100% renewably powered data centers support the mission-critical workloads of life sciences, biotech and AI startups in Cambridge. Find out how we can reduce your digital carbon footprint at kodata.com slash contact. KO Data, proud to sponsor the Cambridge Tech Podcast. Welcome to the Cambridge Tech Podcast, talking all things technology from the heart of the UK's tech capital. Here are your hosts, Faye Holland and James Parton. Hi, I'm James. And I'm Faye. So on today's podcast, we have Ben Woodington from Opto Biosystems, and they actually appeared on the 21 to watch list last year for the first time, and we'll understand why shortly. And they also appeared on Jamie Quested at Business Weekly's radar after their pre-seed raise. So I'm sure we'll find out about that too. So I'm delighted to welcome Ben Woodington to the podcast today. It's a shame there's no Elise with you today. What happened? She is, uh, we are very busy and uh, she is particularly busy today because we're trying to juggle uh, several international collaborations at the moment, which means we're up at 7am and then working till midnight. So unfortunately, she's got swept into that. But um, I'm very happy to be here and I will try to cover her part. Partially unsuccessfully. <laughs> no, no, that, that that sounds perfect. But I, I do understand that you're used to um, talking to neuroscientists about everything that you do. So you may have to just come down a little level or two for me today, if that's all right by you. But let's start with introductions. Who are you, Ben? So uh, I'm Ben Woodington. I'm 50% of the founding team of Opto Biosystems, uh, medical device engineer by training, chemist by training before that, but a long retired chemist. Uh, I completed my PhD in Cambridge in neuroengineering and uh, now the CEO of Opto Biosystems. So Cambridge is famous for deep tech and we really are about to take a journey on deep tech. Um, Why don't you explain what the company does? I will do my best. (laughs) Opto Biosystems are developing uh, a new generation of neurological interfaces. So that is very small implantable devices that can read electrical information from inside your body. Now, that may sound like science fiction to some people, perhaps some of your listeners. um, But actually, these kind of technologies have been around for 60, 80 years, devices that we can stick into the body and record electrical signals. What Opto are doing is taking a new approach to that, making things that are very, very small, well-tolerated in the body, and applying it to an area of medicine that we think has probably one of the highest clinical needs at the moment, and that is cancer. What kind of use cases do you envisage for the device or devices? Our first use case is brain cancer, more specifically a subtype of brain cancer called glioma. So um, glioma and gliomas, including glioblastoma, are particularly devastating diseases. The worst form of cancer, brain cancer glioblastoma, uh, will have a median survival of about 14 months. Uh, And importantly, that hasn't really changed for the last 25 years, maybe 30 years, depending on who you speak to. Um, Despite all of the progress in in drugs and biotech uh, and the infrastructure as well, things still haven't changed. Mm. Um, There's a real need for better understanding 
of that disease and better treatment of that disease. And it's going to require a bit of thinking outside of the box. We are also exploring other indications as follow-on uh, products, uh, including anything that involves your neural system. So uh, we're looking at traumatic brain injury and epilepsy as well. Okay, interesting. So you said small. How small is small? This is an interesting story. So we, we come from a from a academic environment originally, and, and we're surrounded by engineers. And engineers love to make things smaller and thinner and pack more in there and more efficient and, and more sensors and everything else. Um, so when we originally came to the project and we were working on it with some of our engineers, we made things unrealistically small. We made things uh, half a millimeter in diameter, which is a very cool thing to put in a paper. Um, but you go and speak to the surgeons and the engineer excitedly waves a thing in a surgeon's face and go, look, it's so small, you can't even see it. And the surgeon will turn around to you and say, that's great, but it's so small, I can't even see it. Oh, I, I can't even pick it up, can't do anything with it. I need to put this thing in a human being. Um, and so the very first thing we really did on that journey of working with the, the surgeons is actually that kind of human factors part, right? Like what, how small makes sense that you actually reduce the, the trauma and, and the risk of the surgery whilst it's actually still usable for the surgeon. So we've changed the footprint a little bit. We're scaling up, we're scaling down. Um, but even still, like we can make these electronics in, in, in the range of like millimeters, um, which is much smaller than possible today. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? So we talk about, you know, in deep tech neural networks, but this is like neural networks within the human body and putting technology in there. You know, it's, it's amazing stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, um, it's trying to understand the complexities of, of the nervous system and the brain, um, which a lot of people have been trying for a long time and, uh, and we're still not there and we're still not going to be there for, for, for decades to come on all of the challenges that present themselves within neuroscience. Yeah, and give yourself a little bit of, you know, you are very new to, to, to this as well. So, so let's talk a little bit about, you, you said in your introduction, you know, some of your, your background. How did you specifically get into Opto and, and how did that relationship with, with you and Elise as the co-founder start? Elise and I met uh, actually in our PhD group, again, here in Cambridge. So we were um, both completing our PhDs in bioelectronics uh, under George Meliaris. Uh, we were coming at it from two very different angles. So Elise completed her PhD in um, cancer neuroscience and using bioelectronics as an approach to that. Uh, I came at it very much from a surgical angle. So I was working with neurosurgeons, again, here in Cambridge, on making devices that are much, much smaller to enable new spinal cord interfaces. So same kind of technologies, but getting them onto the spinal cord through very, very minimally invasive ports. So syringes, injections into the body. Um, you know, the, the, the cancer neuroscience angle really comes from Elise. Like Elise was working diligently and passionately on, on that project for, for years and is... I think, quite frankly, furious that there isn't better ways to treat this disease. And that's what her whole PhD was looking at. Between her and I, uh, we have a nice melding of skills, really, in the technical side of things. I come very much from the medical device, fabrication, assembly, design part of the world. And she comes more from, the, from, from that biological side of the world, though she's an electrical engineer. So she's probably actually better, and a better electrical engineer and a better biologist than I am. But I won't admit that to her if she was don't, here. Don't say that on the podcast. Tell <laughs> everyone. So we came together, we started speaking to people. We started speaking to, for all intents and purposes, our customer, which is the neurosurgeon, the clinician. Um, you know, we're designing these devices to treat, to treat humans, to treat people with diseases, but the, the surgeon is the one that decides which tools they need and use to go, to go into people, right? So we 
you know, we started speaking to them. We've spoken to tens of them, uh, maybe 30 we've opinions so far, detailed opinions we've had so far um, to try and shape out exactly that, that gap in, in their understanding and their need right now. And you, you've described the kind of, just to jump back slightly to the product, you've described the physical device and the size and, you know, the parts of the body that you inject or apply it to. In terms of what's presented back to the surgeon and the post-op care, what kind of data or what kind of uh, utility does the device provide the, you know, the medical care on, a, on an ongoing basis? Yeah, I mean, a very important question. And again, I think that ties back into the that human factors type piece that we were talking about. Like, it's no good getting things into people and gathering gigabytes, terabytes of data if there's no action, right? There's yeah. no way for the, for the surgeon, the clinician, the oncologist to actually interact with that data. Um, so very early in, in the founding of the company, and I, and I should stress, you know, this company, we only closed our funding round six months ago, so we're early early days. We hired um, an engineering, a hardware engineering team, and very quickly and alongside that, hiring a software and software insights team right. um, to actually distill that data into things that, that are actionable, yeah. not streams and streams of neurological information, right. but but biomarkers, actionable biomarkers that we can we can we can do things with. Mm -hmm. um, exactly what that interface will look like with the clinician, we're not there yet. Okay. There are more there are, mo there are more things we need to do yet. Um, but of course, in the next couple of years, that's what we'll work towards. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, I, as I suspected, there's as much of a software kind of uh, endeavor as a, as a hardware endeavor as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And you've recently received some funding as well, I believe, for a program with the Medical Research Council. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So the MRC grant actually came in with um, an accelerator that we were on. So Elise and I were on an accelerator two years ago that was sponsored or run by Capital Enterprise and sponsored by um, some other partners. The ideas that Elise and I were sort of playing with there have changed quite considerably since then, but that's the beauty of an accelerator. You get to kick around ideas and try to figure out exactly what makes sense and what works. So that was a very a, a smallish program of, of about six months where we got to flesh out some ideas, met a ton of amazing people and yeah, started coming towards what we actually wanted to build. I mean, that's it, isn't it? You, it's, it's meeting those people that helps companies to, to progress. You know, you all learn from each other. So it's great, great to hear. And I'm, I'm really interested to kind of uh, talk about how the genesis of the idea and the company came about, you know, um, what was that spark um, and your initial vision and mission and, and how that may or may not have changed over the, the preceding kind of six or so months. Well, how long has the actual business as an idea been going? You fundraised six months ago. We fundraised six months ago. Yeah. Precede. Precede yeah. pre six months ago. So we actually founded the company last March, a year March a year ago, yeah. March 2022. Yeah. Uh, but at least now we're working on our PhD then, so yeah. we we're still busy with that. Yeah. We actually closed the funding round in 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 December. Yeah, it was yeah. a Christmas present for us. <laughs> so the spark of the idea, how did how did it come about? It came about. I mean, you asked about the mission and the vision of yeah. the company. Like the mission and the vision of the company has been from day one and continues to be developing technologies to treat some of the most difficult to treat neurological diseases in the world. Mm. Um, we're leading with cancer. Diseases that drug companies have tried to treat for decades and, and, and have, I don't want to say failed to, like they've made some great progress, but there are limitations in, in, in these approaches and we're coming out from a new angle. Um, that vision has, has remained. The technological approach, the data approach, the rollout approach, the geographical approach, mm. these are all in flux all the time, of course. You have to you have to 
work with the responses and, and, and the data that you're given. Yeah. You've said that there's lots of things in this area that haven't been improved for decades. You know, see, I, I believe I've read somewhere that you've said bioelectronics is the future of medicine. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and why you think it is such a game changer? Absolutely. I believe that wholeheartedly, that the bioelectronic medicine will change how we treat people. It will change medicine and it will become a pillar of modern healthcare. Uh, it's one that people from within the space appreciate at the moment, but outside the space, I think when people talk about like bioelectronics, speak to a person on the street and they will give you like a bionic hand or arm. And that's cool and that's sci-fi and people like Star Wars. But the idea of bioelectronic medicine, of both recording and stimulating the nervous system, you can affect pretty much every organ in the body. And people are. People are looking at diabetes and asthma and migraine, epilepsy. People are looking at all of these diseases. And rather than taking a pharmacological approach where you often have systemic issues, because that drug goes everywhere in your body, yeah. with, a, with an electrical approach, you can A, measure a, a very specific part of the body, an organ, and you can get so much information out of that. And there's some amazing people doing work on that. And you can deliver electrical current to those areas and actually specifically treat particular organs and, and target diseases. Now, why haven't we been doing that for 100 years? We've been using drugs for thousands of years. Like There has been a, a technological revolution in the last 50 years, which I think we can all appreciate in terms of electronics miniaturization, compute processing power, energy efficiency. You know, you look down at your smartphone, all of this amazing technology is packed into the smartphone. That wasn't possible 60 years ago, especially in implantable medical devices. If you ever I encourage your listeners to look up the original pacemakers, and it's a guy with a cable coming out of his chest and a, and a trolley, like a literal trolley in front of him carrying a bunch of you know, electronics and batteries and everything else. The progress that's been made in the last few years is incredible. And the miniaturization is incredible. And, and the amount of sort of edge computing that can be done on these devices now is, is amazing. Um, and that enables this future where people can actually have things put into their body. And they don't have to carry around a trolley <laughs> to treat their disease. Yeah, we're a trolley or a whole load of drugs that may not be fit for purpose either. You know, I mean, obviously I know that that's all improving and, you know, target drug therapy and everything else, but actually having something that can be more intuitive has got, has got to be a better approach. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you are a startup looking to grow in Cambridge, the Bradfield Centre offers a range of flexible membership packages which put you in control of your office and homeworking mix. There's a vibrant, collaborative atmosphere, on-site cafe, plenty of green outside space and regular member social events. We also offer a range of high-quality meeting spaces for hire and for tech event organisers, our auditorium, lakeside pavilion and atrium spaces are perfect to bring your communities together for in-person and hybrid events. For more information, visit bradfieldcentre.com or call 01223 919600. So you've obviously raised your first pre-seed. In terms of what the kind of the rest of this year looks like and moving ahead, what does the roadmap look like? You know, how do you move from 
what stage would you say you're at now? Kind of pilot prototype staging? Um, how do you get to kind of commercial deployment of the technology? Yeah, uh, it's going to be a busy few years. Yeah. Um, so you're right. We, we closed our pre-seed in, in December, which was, which was excellent. Um, closed just shy of £2 million. We brought in some amazing VCs and some local Cambridge Angels as well into that, which yeah. was which was great for us. Loved loved all of those investors and continue to love all of those investors that are involved. We have a busy year. We are now proving out the milestones that we said we could prove out. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a hardware play. This is a data play. This is a clinical play. There's a, a hell of a lot to optimize on, right? Mm. So the first is is proving out the indication that we have. We are intending to prove out with the technology that we patented last year and, and are actually building that into a clinically viable platform. Because as anyone knows, building hardware, it's one thing to get it working on the bench one time or mm. in your garage one time. It's an entirely different ballgame to get something working 99% of the time, 100% of the time in every single person you deploy it in. Um, so that's what we're working on this year, actually deploying that technology in in the disease models that we're focused on and making sure that the, 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 the thing works the way we intend it to work every single time. Mm. I think one of our most important milestones as well is locking down that team that we need. We are doing something very niche and very specialist, and we have been spending a lot of our time getting the right people to, yeah. to do that. And that is no, no small feat, actually. Um, bringing in people who have the right experience in software and in, in hardware and are willing to do it uh, at a rate that we can afford <laughs> so, is, uh, is going to be a big big achievement for us this year. And, and in terms of manufacturing, have you got thoughts yet in terms of where that manufacturing might take place? There are steps here, right? So the first is getting preclinical data and we can manufacture devices locally for that, that preclinical manufacture. Yep. Then there's a first in human piece we can do. So that first patient, which will be few years from now until mm. we get that first human um, chronic long-term human data that'll be manufactured in a in a in a different facility one that is accredited in a certain way yeah. um, that means the the regulators allow you to, to to put this into a human being we have explored a number of different manufacturing partners who can do that for us coincidentally that was the last job I had before coming on to my PhD so fortunately I have a lot of relationships in that space Hi. and then there'll be the the mass manufacturer then there's the now make a thousand of these devices, 10,000 of these devices, and the entire platform, the software, everything else. And that has yeah. to be manufactured in an even tighter restricted environment. Maybe we can work with those same partners. Maybe you have to work with slightly different partners. Um, mm. So certainly it's uh, steps along the way. And you, you touched on, obviously, part of the investment team were Cambridge Angels. What's your experience been of, like, you know, coming out of the university and becoming entrepreneurs, starting a business? What What's the support ecosystem been like for you? Mixed. Okay, interesting. <laughs> Cambridge has a phenomenal ecosystem, right? Everybody knows this. Cambridge is um, disproportionately represented on the world stage. The, the the biotech we have here, the tech, the computing industry that we have in Cambridge, the tiny population that we have mm. uh, is like not, nothing else in the world. Um, it's also quite a small place. <laughs> so you you learn to know everybody very, very quickly. So we've had to reach outside the ecosystem as well, right? You yeah. can't do everything in Cambridge. The manufacturing partners we need, the investors we need for that for that long haul. No yeah. one will tell you that manufacturing a new biotechnology program product or a medical device product is cheap, and you need investors that can follow you the whole way, right? Inve- backing you with that, the kind of capital that is difficult to find just in one town yeah. of 120, 140,000 people, however many we are now. Yeah. 
so it's been an incredibly supportive environment and and the mentorship that we've got from people who you know haven't put money in have no skin in the game but just want to see us through and meet up for coffees and meet up for a beer and just chat and you're sat across the table from someone who's founded a multi-billion pound dollar company now in the medical device space um that's i think something that's actually quite hard to find in other places in the world and you mentioned like the, the challenge around attracting the right people are you having to look outside the city how are you building the team is everyone co-located in cambridge or are you working with remote staff or so when i started this company Elise, my co-founder, and I agreed that we were going to have zero remote workers. Um, it's hardware. We need people around a board. We need ideas flowing, you know, all creative juices in the room. Um, and we wanted that for us. We've made one, <laughs> one, <laughs> one uh, person that we've allowed. Um, but that is because they were a complete game changer for us. They, they're coming from the States. It's not been officially announced yet, but they, the, the value they brought to the group, the team, and the experience they had we made one exception. Um, everyone else is is co-located in Cambridge at the moment. Right. Find that talent's not been, you know, easy. Um, again, the, the talent you're looking for is niche. Yeah. You're looking for the right people, the right culture fit, as well as the right yeah. technical fit. And it's it's taken a lot of our time in the last oh. few months. And you're doing that within the team or you're using recruiters or? How? No, we're doing it within the team. Yeah. 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 So it's Elise and I um, hiring and then bringing in the rest of the technical team to, to grill these people. Um, and asking challenging questions yeah. to those people to make sure that they've got not just the right technical skills, but the right, the, the vision, the, yeah. the the big thinking, which yeah. you need as well. We talk to a lot of people on this podcast and we know a lot of people as well. Yeah, we That's do. kind of the point of it. No, 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 I know. There's a point to what I'm saying. Will you stop heckling my questions, please? Honestly, Ben, have a word with him. Um, you've done so much in 15 months, I'm kind of sitting here going, how are you doing all of that? As well as you're both finishing your PhDs as well. Do you know, it's a, it's a phenomenal amount of work. How are you doing it? What are your highs? Are there any lows as well? <laughs> yeah. Um, how are we doing it? We can only do it because we're doing it together. I'm sat here talking to you now, but like Elise is the powerhouse behind this company. And can I just interject there? You actually keep looking at the chair next to you. The empty you. chair, at least so if you're least listening. You are virtually here, okay? <laughs> She's the powerhouse of this company. Like she is she is busy, 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 busy working on this company. And like there's no way that either I don't think either one of us could do this on our own. No, no way. And that's how we managed to get so much done. Um so we both we completed our PhDs last year. So though we were raising during our PhDs, we're now, you know, the company has been full-time, our, our full-time occupation for, for six months. And I think that's another important part of it, right? We we both agreed that as soon as the funding was closed, like the company was everything right now. We were going to focus it on everything, like drop all our side projects. And, you know, we're curious engineers. We had a hundred different side projects that we were working on and just finish them off and, and focus on this because it's going to take everything for the next however many years. Mm, yeah. And you recently won the uh, the 2022 uh, Wolfson uh, Enterprise Competition, right? We did, yeah. I mean, how how important are pr those kinds of competitions and prizes to you? I think it's always a difficult balance. Um, no one wants to sign up to 100 award competitions just because of the dopamine boost that it gives you if you win one. And, and they do give you a dopamine boost when you win one, and that's a nice feeling. And we don't want it to distract from our main focus, which is getting products into people and improving people's lives. Mm. These are, you know, otherwise can become you know, vanity projects, which neither one of us want. Yeah. That said, the 
validation you can get from those those startup competitions, especially when you look at the judges on them, and they're they're you know seriously impressive individuals who have built companies or or, or um, investors or whomever else. Um, that adds validation. Mm. It it boosts your uh, your you know your public outreach, which is huge as well. And even something like the Wilson competition, the amount of inflow we get after something like that goes on, you know, LinkedIn and, and yeah. Twitter, uh, saves us a lot of time <laughs> of cold calling, you know, investors and partners and clinicians and everything else. Like it all starts coming in to us, um, which is has huge benefits, of course. Um, and they must help with recruitment and things like that. When people start to see you winning awards, it's it's going to attract people, right? They they do, yeah, absolutely. It, it attracts people. Um, it gets people excited by the mission and by the the things that you're trying to do. And 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 it's so nice when you meet someone for let's say an interview and like they're already excited. You haven't even you haven't even tried to sell what you're building yet, and they're already like so excited about what what you're doing. Mm. And those things, of course, help with that. They mm. they absolutely do. So what's next? What's what's your you know you said you it's a few years before it will come to fruition. Um, what 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 do you see happening in the next twelve months? In the next twelve months, we will have completely filled out the team that we've got here in the UK. So, for full clarity, we've just made another two offers. We've got one more offer to make this year for a person, and then that's that's it. We're freezing the team at that level for the next uh, year. Um, we have a bunch of uh, clinical partnerships that are ongoing at the moment, preclinical partnerships um, across the world, actually, and we'll be expecting results from those. So we're very excited about that, both in some some results that we can share and and and, and fly around. We have some additional projects that we've not publicly disclosed yet, and I'm very excited to announce those as well when it when it comes to it. We will be um, looking towards our next raise because they come around very fast. Well, do, do let us know when you've got those announcements and we'll help to, to share those messages for you too. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's been such a fascinating conversation. As I said at the top, you know, Cambridge has that reputation for deep tech. And I mean, just a, it's, a, it's an area I think that's so interesting. And as you say, you know, has so much potential impact on completely changing medicine for the, in the future. So... We'd love to track the progress of you guys and wish you nothing but the best. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to speak to you both. And I'm looking forward to sharing those updates with you as well. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. Tafei, how's your week been this week? You know, I think it's been all right, but I'm not rightly sure because I've been sat with you and Carl, I think, for most of the week. <laughs> I'm not rightly sure. Yeah. <laughs> just say like I, I literally get abused on this podcast all the time I'm going to say it's like nice nice abuse but I'm not sure like they actually picked on me last week because I said podcast rather than podcast you know we love you anyway my point is obviously the day job has happened but we've also we've recorded six podcasts this week so it really has been pretty full-on yeah what about you I've had a good week, yeah. So, uh, yeah, on top of all the, the recordings we've been doing, I was helping with friends of the show, GrowthWorks. They brought a, a delegation of Indian startups to the Bradfield and around Cambridge this week. So they were here on Monday. And then uh, yesterday I was up in Wolverhampton, sunny Wolverhampton, to see Susie and the Banshees. 
Without the banshees, just Susie. It's nice to know one of us has a life. Yeah. So also this week, well, I'm about to judge the KPMG Emerging Giants 2023 Tech Innovators UK competition. It's great because it's across the eastern region. Four of those companies are actually from Cambridge. Acker Health Tech, Biofidelity, Mimicrete and Renewal. So um, I'm sure we'll be able to give an update on that at some point too. Yeah, you can tell us next week how that went. This week saw a new entrant to Cambridge. New Zealand high-tech company Racon is moving into Camborne Science Park and they are one of the world's largest manufacturers of frequency control products and timing solutions. And then a week after um, opening a facility in Taiwan, Cambridge GAN Devices, we talked about them last week, they've signed a new distribution deal with a US-based world leader called DigiKey. And under that agreement, DigiKey are going to hold substantial stocks of CGDs, easy to use, rugged and highly efficient iScan, HEMTs and related products. Cambridge-based cybersecurity education firm CW Labs, which stands for Cyber Warfare Labs, has closed a significant seed funding deal with UK-based angel investors and appointed Summit Siddharth as a new director. And I think they're the highlights of the news this week as well. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Joining us next time is Dr. Herman Hauser, one not to be missed. Today's show was produced by Carl Homer of Cambridge TV and supported by our media partner, Business Weekly. The Cambridge Tech Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and on cambridgetechpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review. It will really help others discover the show.